Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On DAB+, online, via the TalkSport app, and on your smart speaker. Women's Football Weekly, with Faker Others, and leading guests from the world of women's football. Cuts back onto her right foot, Um, and finds the net! On TalkSport 2. Hello, hello. Welcome to Women's Football Weekly. The inaugural edition of the Arnold Clark Cup got underway last week, and England have put in two impressive performances against Canada and Spain. Del Castillo! Bev Priestman's Canada claimed the first victory of the Arnold Clark Cup, though, beating Germany by a goal to nil. Becky hangs it in there. Buchanan was there, but it's not in an instead for Schill. And could we be seeing VAR in women's football? Talks have begun with the PGMOL to potentially introduce a light version of the system into the Women's Super League. She's a top official. She's the best in our leagues and I think she didn't make the brave decision through fear of whatever that might be. I think when it's that clear you do worry about it. Chelsea boss Emma Hayes would clearly be a fan of that. Uh, We'll also be previewing the fifth round of the Women's FA Cup and chatting to the England Women's Deaf Team. This is Women's Football Weekly, National Radio's only dedicated women's football show. Women's Football Weekly with Faker Others. Hi, I'm Ashley from Putnam Hotspur and you're listening to the Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. Hello, hello, you lovely lot. Happy Monday to you. Now then, we have a cracking show ahead with all the internationals going on. We're going to be previewing the FA Cup, as I said. But first of all, we're going to speak to our guest tonight. It's the wonderful Jilly Flatty of West Ham fame. How are you doing, Jilly? Good, Faye. How are you? Very, very well, thank you. What have you been up to during your international break? Um, well, we, we were uh, fortunate enough to have a couple of days off. Um, but the last weekend, obviously, we've been blighted with uh, two different storms. So it's just been a weekend indoors, chilling, really. Oh, well, uh, yeah, pr- hiding, I would say. Not just chilling, just hiding from it. You did, did the best thing, believe me. Um, how's the season been going so far uh, with West Ham? We obviously had Kate Longhurst in the studio with us uh, last week. How have you been? Yeah, I think obviously it's been a, it's been a bit of a better season um, compared to last year. And obviously this moment in time, we're in a much better position than what we was last year as well. Obviously disappointed. Uh, last obviously two weekends ago with a loss against Leicester but 
in a overall we're in a much better place than what it was uh, the previous season very very glad to hear it listen I'm sure you'll have had your eye on the Arnold Clark Cup which started last Thursday England kicking things off with uh, a draw one all against Canada they then followed it up with that goalless draw with Spain at Carrow Road on Sunday producer Flo was at both games so I'm going to introduce her for uh, for this section because uh, it was it was a fascinating watch particularly the, the Canada game I think everybody was really impressed with England under Serena Wiegmann um, you're getting very excited about the Euros I uh, notice on Twitter and through our conversations Flo yeah maybe a little bit too overexcited but I, I mean I mean it a little bit in a, in a jokey way but I do think that first half against Canada is the best I've seen England play maybe since the 2019 World Cup quarterfinal against Norway Faye you, were, you saw that defeat mm. against Canada it, that friendly, I think, at the Beck 365 in yep. April 2021, which was a terrible we England performance. Mm. So I think to see the the growth of this side on Serena Bingman, who's only been there since September, what she's done with that team in that Canada game, which I think was probably the strongest England 11, I think she put out, who's who fully fit. And then to play the team she did against Spain on Sunday, making nine changes, kind of a second string 11, and putting the performance they did is really impressive. And she's getting the best out of this squad. And I, I don't really think Phil Neville did that. And, and obviously, Hegarisa didn't have much time to do that. So she's taking a lot of these players to another level. And I, I've been seriously impressed with those two games. I was really interested that she made nine changes, Jilly, because, uh, you know, you would expect her to, to want to play her strongest 11 against uh, the favourites for, for the Euros coming up um, in the summer. However, she clearly just wants to have a little bit of a, of a look at everybody in her squad in a competitive environment yeah and, and I think you could you could make them say nine changes against um a lower rate ranked opposition um and you're not probably going to see the best of those players so I think it, it not only shows trust in those players but even them players coming in obviously you've got like Jess Carter I think he's had a brilliant season at mm. Chelsea um but then you have like the front three of Beth Mead, Nikita Paris and Ellen White like even if you're talking about it being as a sort of a second string or a nine changes like those players are still top quality international players. And I think that's what will help England going into the Euros as well is the, the strength of that team. Yeah, I mean, that is a pretty impressive second eleven for sure. And uh, Jill Scott was constantly breaking up any kind of Spain attack as she does so well. I think Ellen White will be frustrated uh, with a one-on-one chance that, that she missed flow as well. And, and you said that really the, the main negative for you would be that they just didn't take their chances in that Spain game in particular. Yeah, I think across, um, across weirdly, even though in the World Cup qualifiers they've been winning by ridiculous scorelines, that 20-0 game at, at Doncaster, there still has been shades of not taking their opportunities, not really being ruthless enough. I think you saw that against Canada when they dominated that first half and got themselves into really good areas, but didn't really create enough shots on target to trouble the goalkeeper. And then yesterday against Spain, it was similar in that they, they had really good opportunities, that one-on-one from Ellen White, and then also Lauren Hemp hitting the post within 30 seconds of coming on. Those were huge opportunities against a team like Spain you're not going to get many of those chances and they just couldn't quite grasp it but you'd rather they do that in a friendly that's you know meaningless in the day than on the biggest stage and I think Serena Vigman has mentioned that in a lot of her post-match conferences and, and, and comments that you know she just wants them to be a bit more ruthless and I think that will come. Yeah, and that goal that came from Millie Bright, Jilly Flaherty you must have been pretty impressed as a as a fellow defender what a volley that was. 
I know that's a that's a goal that um, any centre back would be proud of. Um, but yeah, I think obviously she's connected with it really well. She's she's got over it as well. I think the danger of doing a volley is leaning too far back and ended up probably putting it over the stands, let alone going in the stands. So it was a uh, yeah, it was great for really. It was a great finish, and um, it's, it's true what Flo says. Obviously, I think forwards, especially the attacking players, like you're not going to get many chances, especially in the Euros. So you know, you need to we need to take them. Yeah, certainly do. And you can't just, you know, great having the defenders on the score sheet, but the forwards are there to do a job and, and they just weren't doing it uh, enough, unfortunately. But perhaps you could say that was uh, an excellent uh, defensive performance from both Canada and from Spain as well. Let's hear what Serena Wiegmann had to say about the, the Spain result. She was really pleased with her side's performance and thought that they executed the game plan perfectly. But I like most today that we uh, we had a plan and how we wanted to play and how we uh, yeah how, how we wanted to play against uh, now uh, Spain because Spain has a different style again than Canada had and I think how we did that as a team because we substituted a lot and we had other players on the pitch than we had Thursday and I think that's what makes me actually the most um, yeah the most uh, happy about this. Uh, that we yeah we really stick to that plan and well, the, the other thing that we I hope we're going to do is that we're going to reward ourselves with goals because we created chances and that would be nice if we score them too we agreed with you Serena uh, for sure and you would like to think Jilly that the players will, will get on the score sheet against Germany who have still been decent but perhaps in a bit of a transition phase themselves at the moment and they are the weakest link so you would expect England to, to be the dominant side in this one coming up yeah you would, you would like to think that but obviously again I mean Germany being Germany they're still going to have um, a strong squad and I think it's just not a given that obviously we can turn up and you know score the goals you've still got to obviously put the hard work in but it'll be nice I think just maybe to the uh, pressure to come off of players a little bit you know obviously I think probably as the chances were coming against Spain knowing that there's going to be few between like there's that pressure of I need to finish this chance but um, hopefully there'll be more chances and they'll be able to put them in the back of the net against Germany. Yeah, certainly. Um, I'll tell you what, though, we can't finish this chat without speaking about Hannah Hampton and a fantastic debut for her, her first cap at the age of, of 21. Um, she was absolutely brilliant, practically jumping for joy after the game as well. She told producer Flo she couldn't take the smile off her face. Uh, she also said she employed some interesting tactics throughout the match. Oh yeah, I, I can speak Spanish. I'm fluent in Spanish. I, I was actually saying to a few people at the end of the game, like I was listening to everything that the, the, the Spanish were saying and, <laughs> and telling everyone, going like they're going to do this, they're going to do that. That definitely helped. Ah, you've got to use every single tactic going, haven't you, Jilly? Yeah, I wish I was fluent in Spanish, to be fair. So uh, that's a, um, a bonus as well. But yeah, I think she had a great game. Obviously, it's a clean sheet, you know, and I know she went through a little bit of heart, heartache when it comes to the Olympics. Um, but she's obviously bounced back. She's playing under a great manager as well with Carla Ward, who's who's very supportive and, and knows how to get the best out of her. So, yeah, obviously she can say that confidence and hopefully have a long, successful England career too. Yeah, certainly. She's a real, real talent. We obviously haven't seen uh, Manchester City's Ellie Roebuck in an England shirt uh, yet in this, so we'll remain to be seen whether or not she'll get a chance. Obviously, Mary Earp's getting her opportunity um, in the match against Canada first and foremost. So we'll see, because England play Germany in their final uh, game of this tournament at Molyneux on Wednesday night. Producer Flo is going to be keeping everyone across the tournament Sport Network updated uh, from 7.30. Earlier, 
Canada will face Spain. That's at 2.30. And obviously victory for Canada, for Canada will mean that they will win the inaugural edition of the Cup. Um, I just want to talk about attendances and obviously um, location of these these matches, Jilly, because we've had the Riverside, we've had Carrow Road in Norwich and then uh, Molyneux. And I understand what the FA want to do in terms of getting around the country, getting as many eyes watching these matches as possible but sometimes it's very very difficult and you know Janine Becky spoke of her disappointment at only 6,000 fans uh, watching the match up at the Riverside there were 14,000 at Carrow Road for the England game but listen to this just 119 for Canada for Canada against Germany that's because of the earlier kickoff for England and then an 8.15 kickoff for, for Germany and I found on, on social media, Kat Watson, who's the director of women's sport at Pitch International, which is the agency that created and are delivering the tournament uh, for the FA. She sent out a tweet, basically, after some complaints regarding the, the numbers, saying the plan had always been for double headers, but COVID requirements around cleaning the areas being shared by teams, including the changing rooms, meant that the gap between games was too long to make it feasible, but hopefully next year. I can understand that, and and that is very, very difficult, but it is something that they have to look into, isn't it? Because you'd like to think, you know, who's going to pay for, for, for two tickets? Producer Flo made this point to me earlier on. You're not going to pay for a ticket to watch England for, for one match and pay a tenner and then pay another tenner to watch the next one. You, you want to be there to watch all, t- all two games, both games. <laughs> yeah, most definitely. I think it's about, like, being savvy with it. Like, it's it's hard. I spoke to Adriana Leon, um, who's obviously the Canadian player who plays for us, and she went to watch their game. And she's obviously it was such a, a late kickoff, but it is. It's about being smart with it. And obviously, I know COVID at the moment is making things difficult. But even if you had the England game later and then had the the game beforehand, like people want to watch football, you know, and especially women's football fans. I think there there's a lot of neutrals within it, and a lot of people who have families and daughters and sons and stuff who just want to go and watch the game. So if you was able to do one ticket and was able to go and watch both games, and it's going to be much more of a benefit to, to the women's game in general, rather than, say, 119 being one place. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's just about being savvy with it. What, what did you make of the tournament being played around the country? Well, again, I, I spoke to Adriana about it because she obviously didn't really have an idea of those places. And I will say it's difficult because obviously you want to have women's football to be there for everybody rather than just being the same places. Um, but again, it's sort of that attraction level of, on, for example, on the TV and seeing mainly empty stands. Like it's, I think that's one thing that's not really great in, in regards to women's game. Mm. But I think... It is great for people to be able to see it. Like, I, I mean, I would have liked to game maybe more down this way, um, like more London or South Base as well. And I remember I, I went to an England game at Gillingham um, before and it was mm. literally sold out. And it it would have been nice. I think obviously with them being where they were, they, they were quite far away from anyone really down our way. Um, but yeah, it's obviously, it's just about being smart of it. And hopefully the, the Euros will still generate a lot of interest and will have a lot of fans there anyway. I think what's what's been interesting as well about this is that none of the the stadiums and the, the sort of the clubs that are linked to any of these grounds have sort of really established women's football names. Mm. That Wolves are obviously a, a really growing force, and that Molyneux is going to be hosting that game next week. But 
it, it felt strange to to put them in areas which necessarily don't have big women's side and people aren't really don't have the habits maybe of watching women's football. I do think it's really important to spread the game and 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 make sure areas can watch women's football. But it was so spread out; it wasn't really regionalized. It was one in the northeast and one in in uh, in the Midlands, and then one right down in the southeast. So it, it almost didn't quite make sense. I think if you do, if you're going to do that, you need to group it a little bit more and then also tie in more friendly kickoff times because we all know that train systems in this country are not reliable and on Sunday there were no trains running to to Norwich from London so 14,000 people came and most of them probably drove from the surrounding areas but I think there's just little things and obviously teething problems at first being the first year of this competition but I'd like to see how they maybe do things differently next year. Well 8.15 as well on the last day of half term potentially when parents are going to want to get their kids ready for being back at school on the Monday and 8.15 kickoff seems a bit ridiculous. Obviously they can't predict Storm Eunice coming in and, you know, causing so many problems but you know I think there were things perhaps that that could be done better and I'm sure the people behind the scenes will will think that as well and, and we'll have a slightly different tournament feel next year potentially um Flo what else did you spot on social media this international uh, weekend because I saw something about this big own goal hat trick furore and I, I don't know that you got quite frustrated about it and didn't want to talk about it anymore so I'm going to make you talk about it <laughs> It was, I mean, it's just one of those things. This always happens on Twitter, doesn't it, on social media. People love a a bit of a debate about things. But Liverpool and New Zealand uh, player Michaela Moore, unfortunately, scored a hat-trick of own goals against the US uh, yesterday in the She Believes Cup. And she was subbed off in the 40th minute after this. And it really started this strange discourse out of nowhere about how it was going to be harmful for the women's game, for for these clips to be on social media. And lots of people were talking about the women's game in a negative, like often like we see when a goalkeeper might make a mistake and people start sharing the clip on social media um and I almost feel like having this whole debate and discourse brings more attention to it whereas if lots of people hadn't been debating about whether this was going to ruin Michaela Moore's career which it obviously isn't and Liverpool about to get promoted to the WSL then people wouldn't be talking and drawing attention to it but by doing that you're bringing more eyes on it and people were writing articles about it as a standalone piece, whereas I think it would have passed a lot of people by if it hadn't become this sort of trending topic on Twitter. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Overall, though, in the She Believes Cup, USA have been pretty disappointing, haven't they? A nil-nil draw with Czech Republic. Ouch, that's not so great. Uh, in the Pinotar Cup, Wales beat Scotland 3-1, followed that up with a goalless draw with Belgium. Scotland managed to bounce back from defeat to Wales and beat Slovakia 2-0. Republic of Ireland won their opener against Poland 2-1 but lost 1-0 to Russia and Northern Ireland got a confidence boosting 2-all draw against Switzerland who are ranked 29 places higher than them in the world rankings uh, Right, you're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faye Carruthers, West Ham's Jilly Flaherty is with me as is producer Flo. Coming up next we're going to chat to journalist Sophie Goodwin about a new report into sexism in women's football in Scotland. This is Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the only show on national radio dedicated to women's football. I'm Faker Rothers. Former England defender Jilly Flaherty is with me as well. And don't forget, if you do miss any of our shows or if you want to listen again, you can just download our podcast. It's on the TalkSport app, so go ahead and have a listen to that now. Not right now, because we're on air right now, so don't do that, because that would be silly. Do it after. That would be the most sensible thing to do. Uh, Right, last week... 
a new report was released looking at sexist abuse ex- experienced by women playing football in Scotland. The study was by the Press and Journal and it found that more than 70% of female respondents had experienced sexism. 68% have suffered hate in person and online just for playing football. No action was taken against discriminatory behaviour in 67% of cases. 54% of respondents saying the football industry still doesn't do enough to reduce discriminatory behaviour towards women in football and 86% of people wanted to see more media coverage of the women's sports to celebrate women's achievements. I understand I've thrown a lot of stats at you there, but they're important stats, and to chat about this in more detail, uh, let's speak to sports reporter Sophie Goodwin. How are you doing, Sophie? I'm really good, thank you. How are you? Yes, very, very well, thank you. Um, Listen, it very much feels as if sexist abuse is is being normalised, no action taken, because a lot of people feel as if it's now an everyday part of the game. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's what we we wanted to set out and and show is that it is becoming normalised. And when I spoke to Scotland captain Rachel Corsi, she put it the best way I think anyone could put it is that women suffer this abuse simply because there are women in sport. Um, and I think that's what we'd shown that, you know, the fact that 71% of women that responded to our survey experienced this kind of discrimination, sexism, behaviour, and 74% of them don't feel comfortable or don't feel that taking action will actually change anything. So, yeah, it, it's clearly still something that's happening in the game and probably becoming even more prevalent as the game grows and progresses as well. Yeah, it certainly feels like that. Um, I think it's important to say it, it was a small sample size, if you like, of responses that you had uh, to this survey with, with 119 and, and particularly localised in, in North East Scotland as, as well. So it's important to say that. However, if it's happening there, it's happening everywhere. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, between we were able to cover between the Highlands and Islands and down to Fife and even the people that we spoke to, whether it was grassroots level or coaches or even just parents of, you know, daughters that have football, they were all kind of saying the same thing. There was all that kind of themes of it was derogatory, all the stigmas around in the game, ignorance about the quality of the game. So, yeah, it was a small sample size, but everything that came back, it was was all the same kinds of thematics that came out of it as well. Yeah, and, and, you know... We've seen these kind of surveys before. Women in football obviously did an enormous uh, survey. The Football Supporters um, Association as well, they have another survey that they've just launched, uh, which you can complete online. I actually tweeted it out last week. And I think it's really important for, for people to take part in these surveys to see how we can address things going forward. And, you know, you mentioned there about ignorance and it is important education is a big part of that it was interesting reading as part of the report Eileen Campbell the chief executive of Scottish women's football saying that misogyny and sexism still permeates uh, throughout football's culture from this survey what else do you think can be done because clearly not enough is being done to stop it yeah I think what it's shown is that there needs to be a whether people feel comfortable to call it out, I think that needs to be encouraged more than anything because it is clear that the abuse and the scale of it is quite, it's, it's massive, um, especially like even locally. So I think, yeah, people, we need to create an environment that people feel comfortable enough to call it out. And then from there, there can be actions taken and how it's best to deal with it. But like you say, I think it all stands with education. People need to be educated about women's football and about the progress that the game is making and that, you know, we're not going to stand for this anymore. We deserve to be respected, whether that's playing football at your park or whether that's, 
you know, there's a week of international fixtures on just now, whether you're one of those elite players, nobody deserves to be abused for playing the game that they love. And I think it all is rooted in education and changing outdated ignorant attitudes and changing perceptions as well. Yeah, certainly. West Ham's uh, Jilly Flaherty's with me tonight. Um, Jilly, in terms of calling it out, do you think that happens enough or, or do people... people do normalise it because you just think well I'm not even going to give that airtime half the time yeah I think like obviously especially when you when you see things on Twitter and I know like I've I've seen players um share tweets when they've been um when they've received abuse online and whether it be with sexist remarks of like get back in the kitchen or anything like that and you just see the support from the women's football community and and the whole of the community really It's, it's it's refreshing to see and men especially jump on posts and say, you've got an uneducated view, you know? And I think it is that, I think it's about players being brave enough to say, listen, we're not standing for it no more. Um, but also having a necessary channel and support there to go down and having a route to go down as well. It's it's hard sometimes when something happens and you're not too sure how you go about reporting it or who you report it to. So yeah, I think that's massive going forward. And that's a really key point, actually, Sophie, because one of the other things that I highlighted from from this report is that 54% of respondents said that the football industry doesn't do enough to reduce discriminatory behaviour towards women in football. But most interestingly, 38% are unsure, which perhaps is more important because it's clearly not visible. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, like you say, 54% feel that not enough is done, but the fact that people are unsure, I think people might feel unsure because they don't realise the scale of abuse that is happening. And like Julie said, that there needs to be that environment where people who, whether you're not a player yourself or male or female, they need to be able to, to stand beside you and have your back. And I think that's maybe where people are unsure of is that actually if you're not in the circle of women's football, you might not realise how, how bad it is. I think that's maybe where that came from. But yeah, I think from all from all responsibilities, from all parts of the game, some, something needs to be done to make it better for, for the people on the pitch. Yeah, there certainly is. And, and there are places that, that are supporting, you know, I've mentioned women in football already and the Football Supporters Association, but also grassroots, uh, grassroots groups like Her Game 2 as well, you know, coming together to make sure that women are welcomed and respected in football are, are vital and and surveys like this, uh, for sure, help to highlight those uh, issues. Thank you very much for joining us, Sophie. Much appreciated. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much, Sophie Goodwin there, uh, sports reporter. Um, as I said, I have got that um, survey from the Football Supporters Association that I tweeted out last week. If you want to go and get involved in that, it is crucial that we highlight all of the problems uh, that that are within the women's game to try and make things better and a better environment for, for all of us. Uh, right, this is Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2. Coming up, we're going to discuss the potential introduction of VAR into the WSL. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. 
Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on Talk Sport 2 with me, Faker Rothers and Jilly Flaherty of West Ham. Uh, right, Last week, it was revealed that the EFL and the WSL have held talks about introducing a lighter version of a video assistant referee system to help improve decision-making. So discussions have reportedly taken place with the game's professional referees body, the PGMOL, about a low-cost model which would work in the championship and in the WSL. So fewer cameras, no offside lines, and an iPad instead of a screen as well for referees to use uh, to watch back any controversial decisions. No timescale has been agreed on when this system would be introduced, but it's not, according to Martin Ziegler from The Times, going to be before the 2023-24 season. First and foremost, Jilly, what's your opinion on VAR coming into the WSL? Um, I think like I think it'd be good for us to have it. I don't like it really necessarily in the men's when it takes so long um, to make decisions. I think Sometimes that can obviously really slow the game down. Um, but no, I do think it is necessary because there's been a lot of controversial decisions. Um, I'll just highlight the one, obviously, with Arsenal-Chelsea, with Leah Williamson's handball. Yeah. Um, it's no that, that's, that Rosella Ryan's that handball as well. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, for example, that instant there, like that could potentially have a massive effect on who wins the title this year, you know? Yeah. So I do think it would be welcome probably... Um, by, by most teams, I'd like to think anyway. Yeah, I mean, the important thing here, obviously, when when uh, Chelsea manager Emma Hayes has talked about VAR in the past, she thinks that the league absolutely deserves it. But of course, there's a financial element. We, we've spoken before in, in the men's championship about why it's not able to be implemented um, in, in smaller clubs' grounds, for example, because it costs a lot of money. But this is a kind of lighter uh, system. It's It's a technology company called Dartfish, which have developed this kind of scaled back version of it. So it can be set up at any ground. And, you know, certainly in the men's game, there has been the discrepancy between Premier League grounds in FA Cup matches having VAR and then other matches in the same competition not having VAR. And that to me is is very unfair. You either have it throughout the competition or not at all. Um so it, it, the fact that it's accessible to any size club, I think, is is really important. It's it's four cameras which can basically be installed in in forty five minutes. They're around the pitch, and then they send the feed to a video assistant referee who's actually sitting in the stands. So in the Premier League, you obviously have uh, the VAR 
back at Stockley Park and it's a it's a huge operation if you if you go in there monitors everywhere this is very very small the VA monitor uh, will be basically replaced by by an iPad as well so it's a massive, massive step forward. Um, the director of the women's professional game at the FA, Kelly Simmons, uh, said they're really keen on, on on doing it, and there have been these these early discussions about it. Um, bearing in mind they're also improving referees as well, and actually, the PGMOL have responded to, to lots of criticism. In fact, I was sent four uh, roles, uh, coaching roles for the PGMOL recently. Uh, one as a ref, uh, a referee coach and an assistant referee coach for the WSL, which is full time, um, and then a referee coach and an assistant as well for the championship, which which are part time roles. So there is work going on behind the scenes to to make sure that these errors don't happen. And that is really crucial, as you said, when it could decide the title race. Yeah, and I think like we've, especially us as players, like I'm, I'm fully in support that referees should have the opportunity to be full-time. I think if you're demanding a certain level of standard from us as full-time players, then referees should be allowed to be given the same opportunity. But I think as the women's game grows and more money is invested into the women's game and it's seen more of the business side of it, then those small decisions could have a huge impact financially as well. If, imagine, for example, it, would, it comes down to a team missing out on the Champions League, for example, due to, say, that decision or, or chance to win a game. So I think if we're in growing the game as in players being professional and facilities, et cetera, this is a starting point for it. And, you know, like I said, five, 10 years time, imagine where the game will be. But if this is where it can initially start with taking 45 minutes to set up the cameras and given the opportunity to a ref to see it from a different angle, the rest maybe was able to see the angle that we saw in the telly of Leah Williamson's handball, then maybe she would have given the penalty, you know? So it's obviously given the rest, the ref's the best support too. Well, this is this is a crucial point of it, isn't it? With with the broadcast deals, with Sky and, and the BBC, we are seeing all of those huge um, uh, decisions put in focus with all the cameras and replayed exactly like happens in the in in the Premier League. And so, all it does is highlight the poor standard, not across the board, and and it. It's really crucial to say they're not getting the the, the support rather than just throwing all um, women's football referees under the bus. They have to have the support and and the growth and and, and the the coaching in order to improve. But all it does week in, week out is just highlight that that hasn't come to fruition on the pitch yet. Yeah, massively. And I just think we we have to give the referees the best chance too. You know, like... If, if, as I said, if they could have seen it on the iPad, maybe from the TV angles that we can see, then it's going to help them make the decision. So I just think it's about us making sure that we grow all aspects of the game, you know, and there is been more money being put into it. And it's it's the way the game has to go. Obviously, you've seen the instruction in the men's game. Like, of course, there's going to be bad points with it. I think sometimes with the offside, it can be a bit like really minute with it. But if that's the way, obviously, the game's going, then 100% it has to come into the women's game. I actually think where the women's game could could do a fantastic job, bearing in mind you don't always... Um, the, the communication of VAR is, is the biggest problem that it's had. For example, I was at the Etihad on Saturday um, for Manchester City Tottenham, and it took forever to find out that Harry Kane's 
3-1, original 3-1 goal, um, was disallowed because Kulichewski was was offside. That was not communicated across the ground. And as a spectator, uh, and bearing in mind, you know, women's football particularly has spectators there, children who want to find out um, what's going on and feel in, involved in it. And it doesn't have the same kind of, you know, sitting there on your phones watching what's going on with live reporting as as quickly as, as perhaps in, in the Premier League. Perhaps women's football could take the advance by making sure that the communication about VAR, if it's implemented, is communicated properly uh, within the ground. And that would be, you know, a way to differentiate how they're doing it. Yeah, most definitely. And I think it is the, like the long breaks as well. Um, and obviously just then the crowd get a bit irate with it because they're not sure what's going on. But do you know, one thing also I'd love to see introduced is the chance for um, you to hear what the referee's saying too. You know, like when they do it in rugby. Yeah, 100%. Um, I'd love it. I would love it. Maybe not necessarily hearing players swear, but I mean, I would love to hear sometimes the referee's decisions on things, you know. Mm, we'll make that a point of difference for women's football. You know, that that, that would be excellent. What, why, why not trial that? Right, that's it. We're going on in the next board meeting and we're going to put that forward, Jilly, me and you. <laughs> <laughs> Off we go. Uh, right, on the topic of the FAWSL, why don't we look back at some of the action from the past month and pick our player of the month for February. Women's Football Weekly Preview on TalkSport 2 with a Now Sports membership. Stream the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live without a contract from 11 Search Now Sports 18+. plus. Stream via internet. Terms apply. Okay, well, this is really interesting because this is the shortlist um, from uh, Barclays for uh, the Player of the Month for February. And Katrin Berger for Chelsea, Alicia Lehman uh, of Aston Villa, Ashley Plumter of uh, Leicester City, Jess Carter of Chelsea, who you've already mentioned, Jilly, Ashley Neville of Spurs, that's Flo's pick, and uh, Gemma Perfield of Leicester City. Who's jumping out there for you, first and foremost? Um. I mean, I think I think all of them, to be fair, have had um, a great month. But for me, it has to be Jess Carter. I see her play against uh, Man City. Um, and I think, for me, she's flourished more right back. And it was interesting, Kate Longhurst, obviously my teammate, put up that she believed that Jess Carter is the best right back at the moment in our league. And I agree with her. I think she's playing brilliantly. I think her performance against Man City, she didn't give Lauren Hemp a sniff. Um, yeah, and I think she's just been brilliant. I, I've, I've always like just as a player, I think she's got that on a strong side of into her, you know, she can attack. Um obviously she got the the assist for the goal, but she's um yeah, she's grown so much as a player. I see her in the the England Spain game. Like she's organizing, she's she's doing all the gritty uh gritty stuff as well. But yeah, she'd she'd be my player of the month. Yeah, Emma Hayes had had said in February that that Jess Carter deserved more England opportunities. Two clean sheets and an assist. You mentioned there the Guru Wrighton uh, goal, of course, in, in February. Just she's been excellent. Um, Flo, you've gone for Ashley Neville, who herself has had a fantastic February. Two goals, an assist, and two clean sheets as well. And you know she really was the difference in in both of Tottenham's matches this month. Yeah, and I think why I think Ash, Ash Neville's had such a good season as well is that. I think she did struggle 
coming up from the championship in the first couple of seasons for Spurs. I think she took a while to adjust, but she's been really, really good this season. I think she's really just stepped up and shown massive improvement, which I think is difficult when perhaps you've fallen out of favour a little bit and people may have questioned whether you know you are good enough to play in the WSR. I think she's shown that she can provide a cutting edge to Spurs who are often kind of desperate for goals and don't create a lot. And out of nowhere, she's become a really important goal scorer for them. Yep, she really has. Okay, so I don't know who I'm going to go for. I'm not sure. I've been really impressed with with both Jess Carter and uh, Ash Neville. So we shall see. Go and make sure that you put your vote in uh, as well, of course. And I'll just let you know who the Barclays WSL Manager of the Month nominees are. Lydia Bedford up there um, for Leicester City. What a massive month in Leicester's campaign in terms of their survival. Uh, Played to one two, absolutely fantastic from her. Emma Hayes always up there, isn't she? Of Chelsea and Rianne Skinner having a fantastic season uh, with Tottenham Hotspur as well. Um, right, that was a look back at some of February's Women's Super League action. With now, don't forget, with an Our Sports membership, you can stream the Women's Super League live on Sky Sports without a contract. All you need to do is go and search Now Sports. Women's Football Weekly Preview on TalkSport 2 with a Now Sports membership. Stream the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live without a contract from 11.99. Search Now Sports 18 plus. Stream via internet. Terms apply. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2. I'm Faker Others with Jilly Flaherty of West Ham. Next, we're going to preview the fifth round of the Women's FA Cup and catch up with England's women's deaf team. You're listening to Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2, the UK's only national radio show dedicated to women's football with me, Faker Others, and West Ham defender Jilly Flaherty. Now, the FA Cup fifth round is this weekend. Some cracking fixtures. Uh, Of course... We conducted the draw live on Women's Football Weekly on TalkSport 2 a couple of weeks ago. Former Spurs captain Jenna Scalacci pulling out a Manchester derby from the bag. Wowzer. She also pulled out Jilly. Um, Your match... West Ham against Reading away. Uh, you were runners-up three years ago. How much would it mean for you to get to the final again? Oh, it would mean everything. Obviously, the FA Cup is a cup that's really close to my heart. Um, I've got some great memories um, in the competition. And obviously, Reading away, The a lot of people who come to that game said that that felt more like the final mm. um, because of the drama of the day. And I remember the West Ham fans, they were incredible. It felt like a home game. So... It's going to be a huge game. It's going to be a tough game. Um, obviously, we know Redenham on such a great run at the moment too. So we'll obviously need to be on top of our game. But yeah, it's an exciting picture. Yeah, it really is. The Manchester derby, uh, probably one of the standout uh, ties as well. You've got Charlton against Everton, Durham against Birmingham, West Brom against Coventry, um, Reading, West Ham, as we said, Chelsea, Leicester, uh, Liverpool against Arsenal will be fascinating, bearing in mind uh, Liverpool's uh, potential promotion uh, this season. And then we've got Ipswich Town against Southampton FC. Uh, and joining us now to preview that one is uh, Southampton FC women's head coach, Marianne Spacey Cow. How are you doing, Marianne? I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Really, really well, thank you. Now, we spoke to you after we'd made this draw for you. How much are you looking forward to this? Because it feels as if it's a real opportunity for Southampton to get into the quarterfinals for the first time. Yeah, I think it's it's an exciting game. It's two of the two of the best teams, I think, of, you know, out of a, a number of good teams, but two of the best teams in the Women's National League 
pitting their wits against each other and showcasing the level of football that is being played this season and in the in the leagues that we're in. So it's a great opportunity and, and you know, we're certainly looking forward to it and we know it's not going to be easy. We know that Ipswich are a very, very good side, especially at home. So um, it's exciting. It's uh, it's one to look forward to and it's one to watch out for for good women's football uh, women's football fans because they may not be aware of the talent and the ability in the leagues lower than WSL and the Championship. That's what we're here for at Women's Football Weekly to make sure they do know about it. Um, Jilly Flaherty's with me, by the way, Marianne. I think she's got a question for you. Hi, Marianne. Hi, Jilly. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Um, just uh, obviously in regards to Southampton, obviously I know a couple of the girls who um, who play for you, Kira Sherwood and um, Laura Rafferty, but what's, obviously Southampton are doing really well, but what's the ambitions of the club, um, say, over a longer term, say four or five years? Yeah, the, the, from the moment I've gone in there, sort of four years ago, it's been to, it's been to be a WSL club. Um, and that hasn't wavered. The support from the club as a whole is fantastic. The support of the supporters is unbelievable. We're growing a fantastic fan base. So, you know, the the club are very committed to having a a program or a, a team that are representative of the club in the WSL. And we're working really hard towards towards that goal and towards that aim. Obviously, a big 1-0 win against Bristol City got you here in the first place. You were knocked out by Birmingham at this stage last season. You've lifted the Women's FA Cup before as a player, obviously. How much would it mean to you to, to get through to the next stage? Yeah, I think, you know, every every club wants to be in, the, in, in the, every time there's an FA Cup weekend, you want to be in the hat on the Monday, so... We're no different. Um, Ipswich will be the same. You know, West Brom will be the same playing against Coventry. And, and we're no different to every other club. We want to be in the hat on Monday. So, you know, all we can do is prepare the best way we can, get the, the players ready. The players will be up for it. And, and, you know, let's hope that Sunday's game is an exciting game. And, you know, we'd like to be in the hat on Monday, I guess. Fingers crossed for you, Marianne. Best of luck with it. Thank you very much. Brilliant stuff. Thank you so much, Marianne Spacey Kale, Southampton FC women's head coach. Uh, right, before we go, just want to bring your attention uh, to an ambitious new three-year plan titled Football Your Way that the FA have launched with the aim of developing, improving and raising awareness of disability football in England. Uh, last week, Talk Sports Bradley Hayden caught up with some players from England women's deaf team as part of the campaign, which is going to give more disabled people the opportunity to play football. Bradley chatted to Claire St- Stancliffe, who's a midfielder for the team, um, about how she got into football. My parents were massive football fans and they used to have football on the telly all the time. Um, I'm a massive Liverpool fan and Stephen Gerrard was like my absolute idol. When I was younger, I used to have the same football boots as him. Uh, I used to play the same position as him. Um, and gradually, as women's football became more popular, I looked up to the likes of Kelly Smith, uh, Jill Scott. And it must be quite cool then as well now that you're, you're now playing or you're training rather at St George's Park and you might even get to cross paths with people like Jill Scott from time to time who's regularly in the, in the England squad. Yeah, it's kind of surreal. So, I mean, even the first year that I kind of represented England, um, we were invited to a, um England game, England women's game as VIPs to showcase our achievement and we actually got to meet the players and ever since um, we've been 
been to that game, I'm always known as a deaf child Scott just because I look like her, I'm tall, I play the same position as her. And that's kind of stuck over the years. For yourself, um, what impact did it have being diagnosed as, as being deaf at, at the young age of or four? To be honest with you, it didn't really impact me straight away. I mean, I was just in this bubble. I didn't really know that I was deaf. I just thought that was normal. Um, it was probably more as I got older into my teenage years and I started to miss out on conversations and um, struggling with schoolwork and things like that. That's when I first started to to like, understand what it meant to me. Most of the time, people don't realise I'm deaf when I'm playing. They just come back to me, oh, I didn't realise you've got hearing aids or you've got a cochlear implant. Um, and I was even, back in the day, invited to a centre of excellence and my deafness wasn't even considered to be a problem back then. Um, there, have, there have been the odd occasions where opposition maybe picked up on it to try and use it as a way to wind me up, but yeah, I'm pretty cool with it. I'll just get on with it. Brilliant stuff from Claire Stancliffe there. The, the the deaf Jill Scott. I love that, Jilly. It's so important to, to showcase that football is for everybody. Um, and, and the FA do that so well, having having various different teams. Yeah, massively. And I think it's, it's great that they're getting the exposure as well. And like, I think the, the great thing is with the FA is that it's sort of one family, you know, no matter what um, team you play for, um, no matter what level, what what gender, like it's, it is all one family. And um, yeah, I wish them all the best as well for the future. Absolutely, we do. And I'm sure we'll catch up with them uh, again as well. Thank you very much to Bradley Hayden uh, for that. Right, Jilly, that is it. Our time is up. It always goes so quickly, doesn't it? Um, it's been a pleasure having you on. Good luck against Reading at the weekend. Thank you very much. Fingers crossed you'll be We'll be celebrating getting through to the next round. Absolutely. And uh, hopefully you will be in the bag, the velvet bag that we have so often here in TalkSport 2. And on Women's Football Weekly, you will be in that draw. Good luck and uh, hopefully see you in the studio soon. A big thank you to Jilly Flaherty, the England women's deaf team, Marianne Spacey-Kale, Bradley Hayden, producer Flo, and as ever, all of you for listening. Don't forget, if you do miss any of the show, you can download the Women's Football Weekly podcast via the TalkSport app. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.